Section 19 of The World as Will and Idea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The World as Will and Idea, Volume 1, by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. The Third Book, The World as Idea. Second Aspect. In the first book, the world was explained as mere idea, object for a subject. In the second book, we considered it from its other side, and found that in this aspect it is will, which proved to be simply that which this world is besides being idea. In accordance with this knowledge, we called the world as idea, both as a whole and in parts, the objectification of will, which therefore means the will become object, that is, idea. Further, we remember that this objectification of will was found to have many definite grades, in which, with gradually increasing distinctness and completeness, the nature of will appears in the idea, that is to say, presents itself as object. In these grades we already recognized the platonic ideas, for the grades are just the determined species, or the original unchanging forms and qualities of all natural bodies, both organized and unorganized, and also the general forces, which reveal themselves according to natural laws. These ideas, then, as a whole, express themselves in innumerable individuals and particulars, and are related to these as archetypes to their copies. The multiplicity of such individuals is only conceivable through time and space, their appearing and passing away through causality, and in all these forms we recognize merely the different modes of the principle of sufficient reason which is the ultimate principle of all that is finite of all individual existence and the universal form of the idea as it appears in the knowledge of the individual as such the platonic idea on the other hand does not come under this principle and has therefore neither multiplicity nor change while the individuals in which it expresses itself are innumerable and unceasingly come into being and pass away, it remains unchanged as one and the same, and the principle of sufficient reason has for it no meaning. As, however, this is the form under which all knowledge of the subject comes, so far as the subject knows as an individual, the ideas lie quite outside the sphere of its knowledge. If, therefore, the ideas are to become objects of knowledge, this can only happen by transcending the individuality of the knowing subject. The more exact and detailed explanation of this is what will now occupy our attention. First, however, the following very essential remark. I hope that in the preceding book I have succeeded in producing the conviction that what is called in the Kantian philosophy the thing in itself and appears there as so significant and yet so obscure and paradoxical a doctrine 
and especially on account of the manner in which kant introduced it as an inference from the caused to the cause was considered a stumbling stone and in fact the weak side of his philosophy that this i say if it is reached by the entirely different way by which we have arrived at it is nothing but the will when the sphere of that conception is extended and defined in the way i have shown i hope further that after what has been said there will be no hesitation in recognizing the definite grades of the objectification of the will which is the inner reality of the world to be what plato called the eternal ideas or unchangeable forms a doctrine which is regarded as the principle but at the same time the most obscure and paradoxical dogma of his system and has been the subject of reflection and controversy of ridicule and of reverence to so many and such differently endowed minds in the course of many centuries if now the will is for us the thing in itself and the idea is the immediate objectivity of that will at a definite grade we find that kant's thing in itself and plato's idea which to him is the only true being these two great obscure paradoxes of the two great philosophers of the west are not indeed identical but yet very closely related and only distinguished by a single circumstance the purport of these two great paradoxes with all inner harmony and relationship is yet so very different on account of the remarkable diversity of the individuality of their authors that they are the best commentary on each other for they are like two entirely different roads that conduct us to the same goal this is easily made clear what kant says is in substance this time space and causality are not determinations of the thing in itself but belong only to its phenomenal existence for they are nothing but the forms of our knowledge since however all multiplicity and all coming into being and passing away are only possible through time space and causality it follows that they also belong only to the phenomenon not to the thing in itself but as our knowledge is conditioned by these forms the whole of experience is only knowledge of the phenomenon not of the thing in itself therefore its laws cannot be made valid for the thing in itself this extends even to our own ego and we know it only as phenomenon and not according to what it may be in itself this is the meaning and the content of the doctrine of kant in the important respect we are considering what plato says is this the things of this world which our senses perceive have no true being they always become they never are they have only a relative being they all exist merely in and through their relations to each other their whole being may therefore quite as well be called a non-being they are consequently not objects of a true knowledge for such a knowledge can only be of what exists for itself and always in the same way they on the contrary are only the objects of an opinion based on sensation so long as we are confined to the perception of these 
we are like men who sit in a dark cave bound so fast that they cannot turn their heads and who see nothing but the shadows of real things which pass between them and a fire burning behind them the light of which casts the shadow on the wall opposite them and even of themselves and of each other they see only the shadows on the wall their wisdom would thus consist in predicting the order of the shadows learned from experience the real archetypes on the other hand to which these shadows correspond the eternal ideas the original forms of all things can only be said to have true being because they always are but never become nor pass away to them belongs no multiplicity for each of them is according to its nature only one for it is the archetype itself of which all particular transitory things of the same kind which are named after it are copies or shadows they have also no coming into being nor passing away for they are truly being never becoming nor vanishing like their fleeting shadows it is necessarily presupposed however in these two negative definitions that time space and causality have no significance or validity for these ideas and that they do not exist in them of these only can there be true knowledge for the object of such knowledge can only be that which always and in every respect thus in itself is not that which is and again is not according as we look at it this is plato's doctrine it is clear and requires no further proof that the inner meaning of both doctrines is entirely the same that both explain the visible world as a manifestation which in itself is nothing and which only has meaning and a borrowed reality through that which expresses itself in it in the only case the thing in itself in the other the idea to this last which has true being all the forms of that phenomenal existence even the most universal and essential are according to both doctrines entirely foreign in order to disown these forms kant has directly expressed them even in abstract terms and distinctly refused time space and causality as mere forms of the phenomenon to the thing in itself plato on the other hand did not attain to the fullest expression and has only distinctly refused these forms to his ideas in that he denies of the ideas what is only possible through these forms multiplicity of similar things coming into being and passing away though it is perhaps superfluous i should like to illustrate this remarkable and important agreement by an example there stands before us let us suppose an animal in the full activity of life plato would say this animal has no true existence but merely an apparent existence a constant becoming a relative existence which may just as well be called non-being as being only the idea which expresses itself in that animal is truly being or the animal in itself which is dependent upon nothing but is in and for itself it has not become it will not end but always is in the same way 
if now we recognize its idea in this animal it is all one and of no importance whether we have this animal now before us or its progenitor of a thousand years ago whether it is here or in a distant land whether it presents itself in this or that manner position or action whether lastly it is this or any other individual of the same species so all this is nothing and only concerns the phenomenon the idea of the animal alone has true being and is the object of real knowledge so plato kant would say something of this kind this animal is a phenomenon in time space and causality which are collectively the conditions a priori of the possibility of experience lying in our faculty of knowledge not determinations of the thing in itself therefore this animal as we perceive it at this definite point of time in this particular place as an individual in the connection of experience that is in the chain of causes and effects which has come into being and will just as necessarily pass away is not a thing in itself but a phenomenon which only exists in relation to our knowledge to know it as what it may be in itself that is to say independent of all the determinations which lie in time space and causality would demand another kind of knowledge than that which is possible for us through the senses and the understanding in order to bring kant's mode of expression nearer the platonic we might say time space and causality are that arrangement of our intellect by virtue of which the one being of each kind which alone really is manifests itself to us as a multiplicity of similar beings constantly appearing and disappearing in endless succession the apprehension of things by means of and in accordance with this arrangement is immanent knowledge that on the other hand which is conscious of the true state of the case is transcendental knowledge the latter is obtained in abstracto through the criticism of pure reason but in exceptional cases it may also appear intuitively this last is an addition of my own which i am endeavouring in this third book to explain if the doctrine of kant had ever been properly understood and grasped and since kant's time that of plato if men had truly and earnestly reflected on the inner meaning and content of the teaching of these two great masters instead of involving themselves in the technicalities of the one and writing parodies of the style of the other they could not have failed to discern long ago to what an extent these two great philosophers agree and that the true meaning the aim of both systems is the same not only would they have refrained from constantly comparing plato to leibnitz on whom his spirit certainly did not rest or indeed to a well-known gentleman who is still alive as if they wanted to mock the names of the great thinkers of the past but they would have advanced much farther in general or rather they would not have fallen so disgracefully behind as they have in the last forty years they would not have let themselves be led by the nose to-day by one vain boaster and to-morrow by another 
nor would they have opened the nineteenth century which promised so much in germany with the philosophical farces that were performed over the grave of kant as the ancients sometimes did at the funeral obsequies of their dead and which deservedly called forth the derision of other nations for such things least become the earnest and straight-laced german but so small is the chosen public of true philosophers that even students who understand are but scantily brought them by the centuries men followed the words such words as a priori ideas forms of perception and thought existing in consciousness independently of experience fundamental conceptions of the pure understanding etc etc and asked whether plato's ideas which were also original conceptions and besides this were supposed to be reminiscences of a perception before life of the truly real things were in some way the same as kant's forms of perception and thought which lie a priori in our consciousness on account of some slight resemblance in the expression of these two entirely different doctrines the kantian doctrine of the forms which limit the knowledge of the individual to the phenomenon and the platonic doctrine of ideas the knowledge of which these very forms expressly deny these so far diametrically opposed doctrines were carefully compared and men deliberated and disputed as to whether they were identical found at last that they were not the same and concluded that plato's doctrine of ideas and kant's critique of reason had nothing in common but enough of this it follows from our consideration of the subject that for us idea and thing in itself are not entirely one and the same in spite of the inner agreement between kant and plato and the identity of the aim they had before them or the conception of the world which aroused them and led them to philosophize the idea is for us rather the direct and therefore adequate objectivity of the thing in itself which is however itself the will the will as not yet objectified not yet become idea for the thing in itself must even according to kant be free from all the forms connected with knowing as such and it is merely an error on his part as is shown in the appendix that he did not count among these forms before all others that of being object for a subject for it is the first and most universal form of all phenomena that is of all idea he should therefore have distinctly denied objective existence to his thing in itself which would have saved him from a great inconsistency that was soon discovered the platonic idea on the other hand is necessarily object something known an idea and in that respect is different from the thing in itself but in that respect only it has merely laid aside the subordinate forms of the phenomenon all of which we include in the principle of sufficient reason or rather it has not yet assumed them but it has retained the first and most universal form that of the idea in general the form of being object for a subject it is the forms which are subordinate to this whose general expression is the principle of sufficient reason 
that multiply the idea in particular transitory individuals whose number is a matter of complete indifference to the idea the principle of sufficient reason is thus again the form into which the idea enters when it appears in the knowledge of the subject as an individual the particular thing that manifests itself in accordance with the principle of sufficient reason is thus only an indirect objectification of the thing in itself which is the will for between it and the thing in itself stands the idea as the only direct objectivity of the will because it has assumed none of the special forms of knowledge as such except that of the idea in general that is the form of being object for a subject therefore it alone is the most adequate objectivity of the will or thing in itself which is possible indeed it is the whole thing in itself only under the form of the idea and here lies the ground of the great agreement between plato and kant although in strict accuracy that of which they speak is not the same but the particular things are no really adequate objectivity of the will for in them it is obscured by those forms whose general expression is the principle of sufficient reason but which are conditions of the knowledge which belongs to the individual as such if it is allowable to draw conclusions from an impossible presupposition we would in fact no longer know particular things nor events nor change nor multiplicity but would comprehend only ideas only the grades of the objectification of that one will of the thing in itself in pure unclouded knowledge consequently our world would be a nunc stance if it were not that as knowing subjects we are also individuals that is our perceptions come to us through the medium of a body from the affections of which they proceed and which is itself only concrete willing objectivity of the will and thus is an object among objects and as such comes into the knowing consciousness in the only way in which an object can through the forms of the principle of sufficient reason and consequently already presupposes and therefore brings in time and all other forms which that principle expresses time is only the broken and piecemeal view which the individual being has of the ideas which are outside time and consequently eternal therefore plato says time is the moving picture of eternity since now as individuals we have no other knowledge than that which is subject to the principle of sufficient reason and this form of knowledge excludes the ideas it is certain that if it is possible for us to raise ourselves from the knowledge of particular things to that of the ideas this can only happen by alteration taking place in the subject which is analogous and corresponds to the great change of the whole nature of the object and by virtue of which the subject so far as it knows an idea is no more individual it will be remembered from the preceding book that knowledge in general belongs to the objectification of will at its higher grades and sensibility 
nerves and brain just like the other parts of the organized being are the expression of the will at this stage of its objectivity and therefore the idea which appears through them is also in the same way bound to the service of will as a means for the attainment of its now complicated aims for sustaining a being of manifold requirements thus originally and according to its nature knowledge is completely subject to the will and like the immediate object which by means of the application of the law of causality is its starting point all knowledge which proceeds in accordance with the principle of sufficient reason remains in a closer or more distant relation to the will for the individual finds his body as an object among objects to all of which it is related and connected according to the principle of sufficient reason thus all investigations of these relations and connections lead back to his body and consequently to his will since it is the principle of sufficient reason which places the objects in this relation to the body and through it to the will the one endeavour of the knowledge which is subject to this principle will be to find out the relations in which objects are placed to each other through this principle and thus to trace their innumerable connections in space time and causality for only through these is the object interesting to the individual that is related to the will therefore the knowledge which is subject to the will knows nothing further of objects than their relations knows the objects only so far as they exist at this time in this place under these circumstances from these causes and with these effects in a word as particular things and if all these relations were to be taken away the objects would also have disappeared for it because it knew nothing more about them we must not disguise the fact that what the sciences consider in things is also in reality nothing more than this their relations the connections of time and space the causes of natural changes the resemblance of forms the motives of actions thus merely relations what distinguishes science from ordinary knowledge is merely its systematic form the facilitating of knowledge by the comprehension of all particulars in the universal by means of the subordination of concepts and the completeness of knowledge which is thereby attained all relation has itself only a relative existence for example all being in time is also non-being for time is only that by means of which opposite determinations can belong to the same thing therefore every phenomenon which is in time again is not for what separates its beginning from its end is only time which is essentially a fleeting inconstant and relative thing here called duration but time is the most universal form of all objects of the knowledge which is subject to the will and the prototype of its other forms knowledge now as a rule remains always subordinate to the service of the will as indeed it originated for this service and grew so to speak to the will as the head to the body in the case of the brutes this subjection of knowledge to the will can never be abolished in the case of men it can be abolished only in exceptional cases 
which we shall presently consider more closely this distinction between man and brute is outwardly expressed by the difference of the relation of the head to the body in the case of the lower brutes both are deformed in all brutes the head is directed towards the earth where the objects of its will lie even in the higher species the head and the body are still far more one than in the case of man whose head seems freely set upon his body as if only carried by and not serving it this human excellence is exhibited in the highest degree by the apollo of belvedere the head of the god of the muses with eyes fixed on that far distance stands so freely on his shoulders that it seems wholly delivered from the body and no more subject to its cares end of section nineteen read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama